Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily. This is the Premier League weekend preview edition of the show, looking at all 10 games taking place across the weekend, with special attention being paid to Newcastle against Man United, or the Crisis Derby, as I like to call it, Arsenal against Bournemouth, Liverpool-Leicester, which is potentially the biggest game of the weekend, and nervous, 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 an away game for Spurs at Brighton. My name's Ant McGinley, and helping me look forward to all these games, I've got three fine footballing men. I've got Jack Gorn, who's a Northern football reporter for Daily Mail. Does that mean you're Northern, or you just cover Northern football? Both. Both. Okay, Both. no, that's good. Works for me. Uh, Pete Hall, freelance football writer. Hello. And we've also got the show's producer and freelance football journalist, Fergal Brennan, as well. Hello, hello, hello. And let's start with uh, the first kickoff of this weekend in the Premier League. It's at lunchtime, and it's 12.30 kickoff. For Brighton and Hove Albion versus Spurs. And all the interest on this game going because Spurs are not having a very good time. I was going to say at the minute, but you could extend that out to being this week, this month, this season. Was it all gone wrong, Jack? It's just going on and on and on and you can't really see an end to it at the moment. The co- and I've not witnessed a capitulation like that midweek for an age. Um, and there's loads and loads coming out of the club. How many of the players are actually happy? Is Poch happy? Does Poch walk away? If Spurs wanted to sack him, it was going to cost them 32 million quid. Daniel Levy's not going to pay that. There are so many questions hanging over them at the moment that you wonder where they're going to pick up any sort of kind of run of results. And it's bear in mind as well, they were they were doing pretty good in that game in the first half. It was quite close. It was quite exciting. But then, it, 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 as you say, capitulation is the word. And when you look back to last weekend... That was such a great result that they got down to 10 men and they pulled it back and won. So can can you find a, what the problem is, Pete? It did sort of it did sort of seem in that victory last weekend that all was all was well again, wasn't it? They because they were they won with 10 men as well. They showed some character, they battled um and 
after Hugo Lloris made that error, he made some brilliant saves and won them the game with some of his saves. So you think, fine, going, uh, and it's a, it'd be a good time to play in the Champions League at home in front of your home fans. And you think, right, okay, we can get really get back on track with the victory um, against Bayern Munich, and then that happens. It's just it's back to square one again, and it's back right in the midst of the crisis, and nobody looks happy. Pochettino doesn't look happy. The players don't look happy. And where do you even start? Where, where's the remedy? If your big players, so you know, you're even looking at the Christian Eriksons here, don't want to be there. Uh, the squad isn't massive, so you can't be rotating too much. How do you how do you remedy it without spending a lot of money? And that's not what Spurs do. That's not what Daniel Levy does. So it's. It, I think they might be in for a, a difficult season by the look of it. Well, I suppose after that, some would argue that a game against Brighton is the perfect remedy to that. But are, are they going to walk over Brighton? I mean, Brighton have shown some... I mean, they've been turned over a couple of times, but they've shown some signs of having some dangerous presence up front, which is the last thing Spurs want. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think when you look at when Tottenham have played well this season and when they have won games, the best recent example is the, the Crystal Palace performance. And yeah, I know that was a home for them. And as you say, they, they mauled Crystal Palace, just strolled past them 4-0. I think they were 4-0 up at half-time. Um, I would be eyeing more towards that as a performance. I, I take what Pete said when you look at the way they performed against Southampton in the second half when everyone seemed to kind of muck in and go, look, we're going to need to just hang on a little bit here, make sure we get the three points with 10 men for the majority of the game. Based on what went on in midweek at Bayern, if Pochettino and if the players are not able to rouse themselves from an embarrassment of, of a defeat against, albeit you know an excellent Bayern Munich side, then there's the problems are really demonstrated just how deeply they run. I think there will be a, re- a reaction. I think there has to be a reaction. And I take what you say about Brighton in terms of yeah, there's been some signs, but generally speaking, them and Watford so far this season have been have been whipping boys. The difficult thing about this is it's away from home. That's not what they wanted. Um, yeah, they've got an awful away. They haven't record. won away from home um, since January um, in the Premier League, and you're just looking at that and you're thinking, Brighton, I got to come out all guns blazing, aren't they? It's a, it's kind of a free hit for them. They can just go at Tottenham and give them a lot of problems, and that's not what you want when you're in crisis away from home when you know you've got such a poor record. So yeah, I, I, mean, I, I could see, I could see Brighton getting a victory. Jack, are we are we going a little bit crazy here? Are we panicking when we don't need to? Because actually, when you look at the scale of things, yeah, all right, they haven't won away for a while and they've just been humiliated. But still, they, they made the Champions League final. Um, they, they're probably one of the few Premier League teams whose books look pretty good. They've got the new stadium. Um, is, it, is it that bad or is it just a bit of a transition? Yeah, it's that bad because okay. football... <laughs> <laughs> That's because football is not a long-term sport anymore. It's a short-term game, and the last two months have been way, way, way below the standards that you would expect of Spurs under Pochettino, um, and I don't think you can look much further back than August. And if it continues the way it is, it, I think the the main problem with Spurs at the moment is the kind of mindset and the you want some like sort of professional pride. Mm. Yeah. So you would expect them to come out to, uh, on Saturday. And go and batter Brighton because they want to prove a point. But you can't see that happening with this Spurs squad at the moment that's so fractured. And Brighton should actually be quite, as you were saying, quite a good game for them really. Because Brighton under Potter kind of want to play a bit more football. And you would expect Spurs to be able to pick them off. But the way they're kind of up and down at the moment, there's no knowing what sort of Spurs will turn up. 
Speaking of, uh, well, before we move on to to the next game, what, what are we saying then? Are we saying Spurs are going to do it? Or are we, are we, we, we worried for them and, and what's going to happen? And to be honest, even if they do get a result, is that going to save save everything? Is that going to change things? Is it going to take more than that, surely? I'm worried for I'm worried for Spurs here, I think. <clears throat> I, I, I don't think this is a... a at the moment, the the state that they're in, going away from home against a team that, like Jack was saying, will play football, and I think the sort of the opposite will happen in the fact that, yeah, you would expect them uh, Spurs to have the quality to pick Brighton off when they when they do get forward and leave holes at the back. But then, if the the defense is so fragile after conceding so many goals in midweek, if they're fe- facing a team who can play play a bit of football, um, they could easily, you know, if, especially if they concede early. If they concede early against Brighton, then more could follow quite quickly. So I, I fear for Spurs at Brighton. I suppose when you look at the situation, it's, it, no one really knows one reason of what's gone on. So I'd, t- I'd probably pick up on Pete's point and say that to, uh, in terms of the game, I'm not worried for Tottenham. I, I'm confident that I think Tottenham will have enough to beat Brighton. But medium term, long term, I am worried. You know, as the guys have said before, body language, attitude of Pochettino, attitude of the manager kind of you can see what's going on. I think it stems from the end the end of last season, the Champions League final. I think promises were made over the summer. Promises were made to Pochettino, by Pochettino, to the players, by the players, regarding a whole variety of things. And I think there's a real mentality of, not quite bitterness, but certainly irritation of nobody has individually kept up to their side of the bargain. And that in turn has meant that the, the ship has started wobbling for them this season. I think it's fair to say that nobody in this room has football managing experience, particularly at the top of the Premier League. But the way you just described that then, it re- I could really relate to it because it just sounded like the last six months of a long-term relationship, right? <laughs> you know that bit when you start going, oh, this is like, and you, you're getting more fed up than excited. And actually what happens is it just builds up and builds up. And then you go, actually, I should have ended this. I should have ended this six months ago. So are, is this, are we in the end game, the end period? He should have gone after the Champions League final. He should have gone in the summer because I don't think he would have been. Uh, I don't see how he takes them any further forward than he did. Oh, He's just oh, such I, an amazing achievement. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're right. And and also I think that it, uh, it sounds strange thing to say, um, but it. Did, I don't think it really helped the progression getting to the Champions League final that soon. Because with Pochettino, he's kind of built up this progression and it's been gradual. There's been no massive squad overhauls every summer like other clubs. And so it's been gradual improvement, gradual improvement, then bang, Champions League final. They're like, actually, after that, is it going to get any better? How do, you get, how, do you, how do you improve from that when other teams around them, i.e. Man City and Liverpool, are so good that you're not going to get above them anyway? So how do you, how do you improve? And so... It, uh, in terms of the mentality, in terms of the targets, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it, it sounds a strange thing to say, but I don't know if it got into the Champions League final actually helped Pochettino. I actually think that's a very good point, and I think it is. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, he doesn't just do DIY, everybody. He can come around and talk to you about Tottenham. Um, this, is, this is one of the issues they face this season. Every time Tottenham gets mentioned, it's Champions League finalists. Yeah. Got to the Champions League final, reached the Champions League final. As Pete said, it was almost a, a premature situation for them. They got to the Champions League final when no one expected them to. When we look back over the last five or ten years and, and sides have got to the Champions League final when they weren't expected to, they're not held in the same regard that Tottenham have been at the start of this season. People are expecting Tottenham to behave like a Champions League finalist, like Liverpool who, who reached the final, like other sides that would be expected to reach it, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus, etc. 
Tottenham are not there. And that was demonstrated by how far they finished in the Premier League last season behind Liverpool and Manchester City. So I think the way that the Champions League's almost been a bit of a stick to beat Pochettino and the mm. players with this season. And and football's not as simple as that. Oh, you got to the Champions League final. Why are you not able to, to beat this team? Or why are you getting beaten 7-2 by Bayern Munich? Things change, as, as Jack said, things change very quickly in football. You know, dynasties, you know, legacies at clubs are out of fashion now. It's, it's not really a thing anymore. And... Pochettino himself, he looks like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders because he knows that ultimately the majority of this is going to come down on him because certain players will leave. Vertonghen, Aldebaral, Eriksson, contracts are all up at the end of the season. All three of them are likely to leave. There's going to be talk of other players potentially moving on and ultimately he'll be the one to to pay the price for it. Well, one of the teams that could replace them in the so-called top three, because nobody seems to talk about a top four anymore, <laughs> is uh, Leicester, and they go to Anfield, uh, uh, three o'clock kickoff. Uh, I actually see this as potentially a slip for Liverpool because um, the last two weeks, really, Liverpool have seemed a little bit shaky. They've gone through, they've got the wins, they've got the results, they've ground them out, which always we say. That's championship winning form, championship winning form. They're still not 100% in the Premier League. Uh, they had a bit of a scare midweek, uh, took a 3-0 lead, let it drop, and then just like popped in another goal. Uh, but is, is this something, can we see Leicester getting a result there, Jack? Yeah, well, they got a result there last year, didn't they? Um, I think Pep Guardiola was watching, uh, he was at the theatre during that game. Do we know um, what he was watching? I can't remember <laughs> what he was watching. There was... Um, the Cats, lead, maybe? the lead, <laughs> the lead actor was the daughter of one of his mates, I think, um, and she's, I think she was at uni over here. Anyway, he spent the night watching that because it was after the Newcastle game yeah. where they got beat. She was like, "I don't want to watch any football. I'm going to go to the theatre and watch this." And obviously, Leicester got a result, and it kind of altered the altered the season quite dramatically. And I wonder whether he might go and try and find whatever <laughs> he can in Manchester City Centre just to do the same thing <laughs> and hope that exactly the same thing happens. Do you think he was on his phone during the play, just like? Get off your phone. I'm, I'm not yeah, looking. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something else. I'm reading something. I've just got an email. All right. Well, didn't he do? Um, he went to play golf last season as well. Famously, during another game, there was a game on. Everybody was going to be watching. He played golf. It's when they won the first the first title um, when United were playing. Right, yeah. Lost against West Brom. Yeah. Yeah. And he found out on the golf. He was with. I think he was with Tommy Fleetwood. Was he? Which is not a, not a bad way to win no. a title, is it? On no. the, there you go. Um, so yeah. So uh, Liverpool versus Leicester. Um, What's your, what's your take on this, Virgil? You've seen, you've seen quite a bit of these two teams. Um, I'm I'm reluctant because last week when we spoke about Sheffield United and Liverpool, and and this is going to be the way it's framed until we we think Liverpool lose a game or or drop points at some stage this season of saying, oh, this could be it, oh, this could be it. Last weekend, I, I couldn't really, and the, and the guys that were on uh, slaughtered me for it because I couldn't really think of a reason why I thought Sheffield United would get a result. Ultimately, they came very close. But as as you said at the, at the start of this, and Leicester have got all the tools to go to go to Old Trafford. Uh, sorry, Trafford. Freudian slip there with Pete standing next to him. Uh, go to go to Anfield and, and get a result. He only wishes that Old Trafford was like Anfield at the minute. Um, Jamie Vardy, we've spoken about him quite a few times. He's in fantastic form. James Madison's back fit. And I just think the way that Leicester play, Liverpool are not nearly as solid at the back as they were last season. I think this is an example of Liverpool will be tempted to kind of come out and show a little bit more. They they got a little bit of a slap in the face from Salzburg in the Champions League. And that is exactly what Leicester will want. Leicester love that, where they're kind of, it's almost like someone annoying a dog through a cage and then they'll just come out and, and they'll hit Liverpool. And if Liverpool are not 
prepared for that if they're not set up defensively to kind of prevent space and prevent spacing behind. I th- I do think I do think Leicester could get result. Do you now, think that's the best? Sorry, do you think that's the best thing that Rodgers has done is getting the best out of Jamie Vardy again? Yes and no. I think when you look at the role that he did in terms of bringing other players through, like obviously Madison, Hamza Chowdhury's doing really well. But what he's done with Vardy is that no manager's managed to do post Ranieri, which is actually kind of remind him of the level that he's at instead of just our oh, Vardy you know he works hard and he, and, he, and he nicks goals I think Rodgers has gone into Leicester and said to Vardy you're one of the best strikers in the league go and prove that to me go and prove that to these fans they adore you you're going to be my main man and and that's you know Rodgers is his prime meme material in a lot of ways but that's something <laughs> he's very very good at that mm. style of man management and mm. anyone you speak to who covers Leicester or, or Leicester fans will say that that's pretty much the conversation he had with Vardy you're one of the best strikers in the league Go out and show me. Go out and perform. Be the guy that drives us back into the top four. He's, he's obviously retired from international duty, but actually he's having his best season since they won the league. Do you think that's something where we could... I mean, obviously we're a bit spoiled for choice with English strikers, but could we see a potential thing of him coming, being brought back in for the Euros? I think that... But that that has helped his form. It's helped his form that he's fresher and that he doesn't have to play international football. So I, I don't think he has any... I don't think he really wants to at the moment because he's playing so well and um, I think Virgil was right to sort of touch on the similarities between Vardy um, now and when he, under Ranieri is because now he's got the supply line again mm. under Ranieri he had Mares providing him, um, the supply now he's got the supply line T. Elements, Madison Harvey Barnes he's got lots and lots of options of passes coming into him and he looks as, as good as ever so why would you why would you go back and Want to play against Bulgaria and, and teams like that well. again off the bench? Yeah. Like, why would you come out of international football when you're playing the best football of your life and you can have two weeks off? Let's bring in another voice on this. Sam Leverage is from Total Football Analysis. And how are you guys looking at this between what are the two meanest defenses in the Premier League this season? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're two solid defenses. We both look good, both home and away. So it's hard to find a way through, really. But I think what's interesting about this one is not just how good the defences are, but how good the fullbacks are, and not just defensively, but how they'll contribute to the attack as well. So I think that'll be a really crucial area, and, and we know that both teams will be really up for it. Both teams have got some high hopes for this season, but their defences are definitely the key there. Well, obviously, when you mentioned the, the issue of defences, and, and they've got the best two defences in the league, and individuals and collectively, that they've impressed so far this season. But when you look at the way Liverpool played in midweek in, in the Champions League against Salzburg, and they allowed Salzburg to creep and creep and, and get back into the game, and... and Potentially, almost yeah. win it in the end. Had Liverpool not got uh, got the fourth goal, what what is there for Leicester to look at from that Salzburg performance? What what can Brendan Rodgers look at Salzburg and say we can replicate that at Anfield and go and get a result? Well, I think the main threat for Leicester is definitely going to be Jamie Vardy. I mean, we've all seen the stats this week about how he doesn't, he doesn't do anything almost half the time that he's on the pitch. I think that's the kind of thing that Liverpool haven't really faced too often this season. They kind of had it against Salzburg. They got a little bit complacent. They let them play around a bit thinking that they could do it and and that's what they need to be careful of with Jamie Vardy if he starts making those runs in behind using his pace and that's where he could really kind of come unstuck with Virgil van Dijk and and really cause a threat something Liverpool haven't faced too often they've often faced teams that have been more trying to get at them and and make those kinds of runs whereas Leicester are going to use the flanks if they can and that might be why Ozzy Perez doesn't make it into the starting 11 but they'll definitely be looking to capitalise on Jamie Vardy. Sam, well, we've we've been talking about Jamie Vardy as well. Is it is it a matter of fact that now he's he's back firing on all cylinders because he's actually getting a supply line that he's not had in the last couple of years? 
Definitely. I mean, in the last few seasons, we've seen that, especially after Riyad Mahrez left, there just wasn't really much supply for him. And he's not a player who drops deep to come and get the ball and get himself involved. He'll wait on that last line and, and wait for the ball to come to him and see what impact he can make. And, and now that Brendan Rodgers has got his team with, with quite a lot of creativity there, the likes of James Madison, who are really going to play into him. And they allow Vardy to not do much of the hard work, not do much of the chasing the ball, but he can just wait on the last man, make those runs in behind Virgil van Dijk and and Joel Matip at the weekend if he's fit. And, and that's what they'll be looking to do to try and make the most of, of what Vardy's strengths are, really, because he's a player that does have the, diff- the potential to make a difference, but Leicester really need to have the quality in their squad to, to take advantage of that. And with Rodgers, I think that's something they've finally got now. Yeah, so they do have the potential. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast here. I'm a Man City fan. Do you see Do you see them actually being able to pull that off and, and get a good result? I would be shocked, but this is Liverpool. And Liverpool are in great form. They've been really good this season. I think after the midweek scare, it might have been the, the concern that they needed to kind of get rid of any complacency that they might have. So I think they'll definitely be be trying to avoid another repeat of that, having lost their lead against Salzburg and having to come back late on. I think it'll be up to the forwards, really. If, if Salah and Mane play well and they can exploit the gap in between defence and midfield for Leicester, then that'll be where they make the difference. But Leicester definitely have the potential to cause an upset this weekend, yeah. Sam, that's great. Thanks very much. Thanks. That's Sam Leverage from Total Football Analysis. And at this point, I think we'll take a little break. We'll come back and we'll look at all the other fixtures taking place this weekend, starting with the Crisis Derby. Newcastle against Manchester United last game on Sunday Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Football Social Daily It is the Football Social Daily weekend preview we've already looked at a couple of games now it's time to go through the rest of the fixtures and we're going to start with what I'm calling the Crisis Club Derby at Newcastle United against Manchester United which sees two former teammates up against each other in the dugout uh, Steve Bruce for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer brings his Manchester United team to St James's Park and Steve Bruce's Magpies And Steve Bruce has been saying some odd things in the press this week, as we noticed in my other podcast on the left side. Steve Bruce was clearly furious after the game and was happy to take some of the blame himself. But his post-match comments won't have done anything to shake his footballing dinosaur image. But the nitty-gritty is that we haven't we haven't laid a glove on Leicester in the second half. And, you know, tactics, and I've heard all this nonsense about tactics and this, that and the other. The big thing is to have the ability to roll up your sleeves and have a, have a go and show a bit of pride. Yeah, tactics, eh? Load of rubbish, right? What do those Pep Guardiola's and Jurgen Klopp's of this world know? Why do they waste their time on tactics when you can just run around a bit faster and try a bit harder? That's what football's all about. Unless maybe Steve Bruce thinks everyone is just blaming those little mints that come in the plastic box, then you can probably understand his confusion. Bruce is in fact so furious at suggestions he should try and use some tactics that he responded to the loss by cancelling training on Monday morning after the game, which is brilliant. I wish my job worked like that. Yeah, Jim, you were really shit today. And pretty bad yesterday, so why don't you take tomorrow as a nice day off, yeah? Bruce was clearly as confused as Graham Sooners was after that game when Sooners claimed that it wasn't Newcastle who were playing. 
which is clearly the angle that Bruce should have used after the game. Would you say that was a typical performance from Newcastle? Newcastle? That wasn't Newcastle. That was uh, Newport. Uh, sorry, Steve. I mean, that is your name, isn't it? My name? I'm Breve Stoose. Nice to meet you. You can find more from On The Left Side in our weekly podcast. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So there we go. Breve Stoose and Newcastle United uh, taking on Manchester United today. Uh, what I'd like to do, actually, because Pete, you're, uh, you're a Manchester United fan. We all know that. Um, I'd like you to... Uh, step up and represent Manchester United. Uh, Jack, if you could represent Newcastle United. Uh, uh, Fergal, if you can be fact checker and I'll be the judge. And what I'd like you to do now is we're going to put the clubs on trial and I'd like you to put the case forward, give you 45 seconds or so. Uh, Which club is most in crisis? Which of the Uniteds is most in crisis? Uh, Jack, if you'd like to come to the stand and present your argument first. The first one being that Steve Bruce, when asked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position in his Friday press conference, was so under pressure he couldn't even bring himself to back him, to back Solskjaer to do a good job at United. Because he's so under pressure at Newcastle. The fans have effectively given up. There was a game the other week that the attendance was its lowest since 2012. The owner, Mike Ashley, has somehow managed to drive out the best manager the club has had since Bobby Robson, in giving him a, offering him a contract in February, going back on it in March when he'd not signed it and offering him less money, and then wondering why he wasn't staying, and then you've got the two ma- the two major ones this season after big defeats: first at Norwich, second at Leicester. Paul Dummett after Norwich comes out and says we didn't warm up properly, <laughs> yeah. and then was made to come out and say. I didn't mean that was anything to do with the manager. That's nothing to do with the manager. It was just us. It was just us. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And then the second one was Sean Longstaff after Leicester just said, excuse my language, but that was fucking embarrassing. Now, if that's not a crisis club, I don't know what is. Thank you very much, Jack. Let's put that over to you now. Pete, put the case forward for why Manchester United are more in crisis than Newcastle. Well, it all comes down to what you're used to. Newcastle fans have endured joking ears, tenure, they, any mention of Alan Pardew, they go red in the face. They are used to this kind of thing. It's nothing new to Newcastle fans, so you can't say it's a crisis if it's something that's happened before on a regular basis. Whereas Manchester United, people of my age, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson came in a week after I was born, and all we, all we, all we knew after that was success. And now it's just gone downhill further and further and further we thought David Moyes was the worst, worst, was the worst of it, and now we haven't won away from home since Paris, a game which let's we can actually hold our hands up now and go, we re- we're really bloody lucky. <laughs> <laughs> there was no skill in that; it was just a real lucky night. Um, we thought that was right. We're back now. Give give Ollie, give Saint Ollie the, uh, the the permanent manager's job, and he's not won away from home since. And it's just gone from bad to worse. And the thing is, is why United in crisis is you can't see a way out of it. You look at that squad and you look at the players that are in the first team, never mind the players that are on the bench, and you think even a two good transfer windows and it still wouldn't remedy because our best players don't really want to be there and nobody can score any goals. And when you're a club like United and you can't score any goals, then what's a, what's a bigger crisis than that? 
Thank you very much. I'm going to pass this over to our spokesman for the jury, <laughs> Fergal. Having heard the evidence, what do you decide? Um, quickly on, on Jack, I think the, the point with Newcastle is, is very, very clear. It's blatantly obvious that people have given up. Um, I think this is what tips me slightly more towards Pete in that at Newcastle, they've already given up. I think they're beyond the point of crisis. I think the crisis stage was maybe six months ago. Crisis to me infers that there's something you can do about it. Whereas Newcastle's situation, short of getting rid of the owner, the manager, and most of the first team squad, you can't really do a great deal about that. The, you know, for for a number of for a number of seasons now, the best things about Newcastle Football Club have been Rafa Benitez. He's now gone, and the fans. Um, but the reason I'd probably steer more towards Pete, and, and he is right, is this all comes down to context. Context is king in these situations. In that United's expectations now are so far removed from what they were. Even when David Moyes took over, they are now so far away through Louis van Gaal, through Jose Mourinho to now, they are so much different. And and it sums it up for me, the post-match press conference from Solskjaer after the Alkmaar draw in, in midweek, oh. where he said, this is a good point away from home. You know, they beat Feyenoord 3-0 three three the weekend before. No other Manchester United manager makes that statement in a press conference, whether it's David Moyes, whether it's Mourinho, or whether you go all the way back to Sir Alex Ferguson. So I think... For context, I think we're going to do Muhammad Ali here with, with, with Pete. I think Pete's, Pete wins that one. So yeah. we can all safely say that Manchester United are in a worse situation than Newcastle. And let's just take a moment and let the United fans enjoy that moment because you're going to be a while before you win something else. I'd like to thank my family. <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone. David Moyes. I'd like to thank David Moyes um, and... And and Sir Alex Ferguson for raising our expectations can, can, far too high. Can I just can I just <laughs> interject here as well because we're, we're talking about this, but slightly taking us off topic. But Jack, you're a Blackpool supporter, mm. yeah. So when That's you look a real at this, crisis. so yeah, exactly. When we're talking about this, <laughs> yeah, where you was just that think, argument? Oh, what, what what's all that about? Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch my club at home for six years uh, because of what was going on at boardroom level. So that's a real proper crisis. Bolton was a crisis. Coventry was a crisis. Berries, well beyond that. Those mm. are proper problems, not kind of the United fan to my right-hand side moaning about not winning some context. games away from home. Context, Jack, context. Yeah, Perspective. My, yeah, my, well. my, Bol- my Bolton not- fan friends often say this to me. It's like, oh, poor little rich club. You know, you're not doing so well this yeah. year. Oh, no. Uh, what was what was the figures that came out a week ago, two weeks ago? 615 million in profit? That's the that's the real success story, isn't it? That's, and that's, Ollie, that's what and we all Ollie want. the club. Yes, gets the club. Yeah, he does. He understands, and he's yeah, he's one of he's one of our own, isn't he? One of adopted, yeah. one of our exactly own. Exactly what it is. No one's still not <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I, th- I think there's a couple of yeah. letters yeah. missed off the start of that. <laughs> uh, so let's look at the game now. Look at the picture. We've talked about the two clubs. It's not great. Um, it, it, I mean, the thing is, you should be going well. Man United all the way, especially in recent form. <sighs> I, you know, have you got any doubts, Pete, about this game? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, United were. I mean, I was at I was at the uh, game on Monday night, and that was. I thought that was bad until Thursday night. And yes, all right, they they played. A, you know, United played a lot of youngsters, and it was good to give them some game time. But it wasn't the youngsters that that, that disappointed me. It was the senior players that were playing, and you were thinking. Oh, you know, every time they get near the ball, it was just there was no there was no imagination. But it's the same protagonists. Uh, um, I don't want to single anyone out. There's a, there's quite mm-hmm. a few. It's the same protagonists who are making these same. I mean, we always thought United fans always thought that the Louis Van Gaal sort of f- boring football was as, as bad as it'd get in terms of entertainment. 
Um, but now there's just there's there isn't an idea. I mean, I don't I, I'm not I don't want to sort of point the finger at Ollie or anything. But there's just, I don't think it's if it's the players or it's him. There there isn't an idea, and there isn't anyone that I'd be confident of beating because they're just nobody's scoring goals. If you don't score goals, you're not going to beat anyone. We didn't even play a striker up front on Thursday no. night. No, mm-hmm. he played Daniel James through the middle. Um, who, who brilliantly on Thursday night was the same height as the mascot yeah, he brought yeah, out for yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, that, somebody stitched him up there, didn't they? Because all the rest of the mascots were like, like quite small. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got the one. You couldn't, you literally couldn't see him. Yeah. And it was only because Daniel James had more hair than the mascot that you could <laughs> yeah. make out he was stood behind <laughs> yeah. him. Um, it, it, is that from a Newcastle point of view? And and obviously we just had Jim on, on the left side there uh, talking about those couple of quotes, which make Steve Bruce the antithesis of many of the managers that we see in the Premier League now. Um, in some ways, you know, he must be having a nightmare because this is his dream job for Bruce to be there. Um, can you see any way? Because that would be, you know, it's obviously it's a big game, his old club. Is there any way that they can get, realistically, even given all the problems that United have got at the minute, is there any way Newcastle can beat them? Uh, no, I don't think there's a way they can beat them. I do, I do think there's a there's a fairly strong chance of this being a, a pretty dull draw between between two sides that are suffering in terms of lack of confidence in their manager. You mentioned Solskjaer before. Does he have a plan? I think he'll look across to the other bench and go, "Do you know what, mate? You don't have a plan either. We're we're in this together, Steve. If, is, if anything, is this going to just be like park football on a Sunday? Mm. But potentially. I mean, I, I just think are they going to get together after the game and go, "Do you know what, Fergie you never told us anything about like you never gave us any advice on how to manage or you know tell players where to stand on a football pitch." Um, and I think that it goes right the way through the through the team. You look at the performance last weekend against Leicester. There was literally nothing to pick from it on any sort of a positive. Leicester, yes, were really good and took their chances, but Newcastle in, in every department individually, collectively, tactically, were miles off. Um, And I think the only saving grace that they have against United is that they are at home. Um, Obviously, we've mentioned this issue of crisis or this issue of of, um, uh, fan protest or or fans being unhappy with Mike Ashley or the club. They will still go to St. James's Park, not in the numbers that they have in previous seasons. And they they, they will play their role in making this difficult for Manchester United. Even if the 11 players on the pitch and the manager on the bench don't have the nous and the experience to do so, I think the fans will. And I think what's happened with with United and with Solskjaer at the moment is they find it really, really hard to deal with pressure. So in this sort of a situation where they're going to a difficult place, you know, Pete's talked on United of 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, even when they had far more quality than they have now, they still had a mentality where they'd go to St. James's Park and you'd fancy them to mm. win. They'd go to tough grounds and you'd yeah. fancy them to win because they had three or four players in the team that would drag the rest of them and someone would have that bit of quality to get a goal and win them the game. They're lacking in both the quality and those characters when they go to, to St. James's Park for me. Now, Jack, you spend a lot more time with, with, with players on, on, on a weekly basis than, than I do. When, when they're you're, not snubbing me. Yeah. When they're not snubbing you. So <laughs> uh, you're, you're in the tunnel, you're seeing them pretty up close, you're talking to them. Does does that pressure really affect them? Because like the, 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 to get to this stage, to get to this level, whether at a Premier League club, they've, they've had to go through so far, whether it's through years of academies at one club, then big transfers, other clubs coming through, proving the worth time and time again. Does the pressure still show? Does it affect them, or are they? Are they? Do we just build it up into hype, and it's not really? It's just another game for them. After after a match at Old Trafford, doesn't seem like they got a care in the world. Doesn't seem like they got any pressure on them whatsoever. The, uh, after the Rochdale game last week, where they were absolutely abysmal, start to finish, mm. awful. They were laughing and joking in the tunnel afterwards, like nothing happened. Uh, 
There's a lad, Rochdale got a lad who used to play for United in their academy, um, and he was slapping hands with everyone, having a chat. You wouldn't have known that United had almost got knocked out by a, yeah. mm. a team in League One like half an hour before on. It was absolutely mad. Yeah. And it's not like that's not uncommon after a game at, at United. No, absolutely not. When they've played good or bad, kind of. And this is something that you would never expect when, when Keane was there. Yeah. He would not have allowed that. And we, we see this a lot now. It's, it's the modern game before there's a match. Because the players have played together at different clubs, you'll see them embracing and hugging. And you hear different ex-players going, oh, I'd never do that now. Obviously, it's a different world, people are more social. But does does that have an impact on the game and on the pitch? Yeah. Um, Roy Keane has talked about it quite a lot while he's doing his punditry. Um in uh, in his forthright way that he does, and um, he, he talks about characters, and it's a really cliched way of doing it, and it's a, and it's, a, and it's a really sort of obvious, easy, easy sort of start stick to beat United with. But it is it is right in the fact that the younger players are looking at the likes of Paul Pogba and and the other senior players, and your class Jesse Lingard, senior players, and looking at them, and they. And young players are impressionable, and then if you're if they're looking at them and they they don't care, they haven't got a care in the world, then they're gonna go well. Then maybe that's the way, that's the way to do it. That's that's the, if these guys are doing it, and these guys are Paul Pogba is one of the, the highest paid players in the world, one of the one of the highest most marketable players in the world. So if these guys are doing it and they're obviously very successful, then then we'll we'll do the same. I think just to just to make a quick point on the whole thing with Keane and the whole thing with this idea of characters and experience in teams. When you look at United or you look at other Premier League teams and you look at the areas that United are falling down in, you don't necessarily need a Roy Keane. When no. you look at that team, you know, there's very, there's not really, well, there's no one like Roy Keane now, Patrick Vieira, Steven Gerrard, or, or no style of players in terms of their, their attitude towards the game. But United don't need someone like that. What's happening here is this argument that, you know, someone needs to be screaming and shouting and someone needs to be taking this and someone needs to be taking on this leadership role. No. Yes, there are young players, but there are more than enough experienced players in that team to not have to be screaming and shouting and, and, and bawling like Roy Keane would have done in his prime, but making sure players know the basic responsibilities, tracking runners, marking people at corners, you know, marking people from free kicks, <laughs> making sure you're supporting a man but with the, the ball. But there's, there's, there's people like... My Matt, five-a-side team know that. Yeah, but that's, that's exactly what I'm saying, because you know, they've got characters like you, Ant, to tell them where to go. <laughs> but, but this is the characters issue. Characters in the dressing room. <laughs> yeah, big, big characters. But... There's he's definitely enough. a headphones man, and he? he's definitely got his headphones in. <laughs> there's enough, there's enough experienced players in that team. You don't have to go into the United dressing room, and I actually think it will be counterproductive for someone like Keane. You know, I hear a lot of United fans mm. saying, "Oh, what we need is Keane going in and screaming." Oh, I, I don't necessarily think that. What you need is the senior players that are there to use their voice, use their experience. Matic, for example, Matic doesn't need to scream at one of the younger players, tell him what to do. Mm. He just needs to basically show him how to be a Premier League footballer but because standards have declined so much mm. now the young lads are looking at Matic and going who are you to tell me to do that? You're right you're right in the fact that uh, you don't need somebody screaming and shouting and throwing teacups at them but you just need somebody to look a bit disappointed <laughs> to just look <laughs> yeah, to yeah. just to just look a bit interested you don't you don't you don't need somebody to sit you <laughs> sit you down and say you you need to do this and you need to do that but that's what i mean with with standards so and, and yeah. jack mentioned this about the rochdale game the young lads in that team knew when they went off the pitch that one of the senior players wasn't going to Roy Keane them and have up against the wall but wasn't even going to have a stern word with them and no. say you've let this club down because as, as Jack rightly said they were, they were chatting laughing because they knew I'm oh, sorry because they know it, it doesn't matter at the moment because mm. there's nothing the club can do about after, it after the Palace game when they lost at home in the last minute they were all messing about well a few of them were messing about with Deontay Wilder in the players lounge after yeah and Harry Maguire was the only one that looked genuinely pissed off 
and cared. But I mean, you kind of talking about uh, leaders in the dressing room and leaders on the pitch. You know, if you kind of compare them to City, for example, mm. United don't have a David Silva that tells the midfielders like subtle little things mm. and pushing them. And that is a type of leadership. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they don't have anyone like that. They don't have anyone like Fernandinho. And then if you look at that kind of city midfield, and you've got De Bruyne who will shout at people, but United have not got any of those. But then interestingly, when they when Pep came in, one of the first things he did was he got rid of one of the biggest voices, one of the biggest shouters on the pitch, in Joe Hart, mm. and shipped him out almost straight away. And part of the thing was because <clears throat> of Hart's presence and character, mm. as we right understand it. Of, yeah. yeah, it's got to be the right right character and be able to say the right things at the right time. And it's yeah, also Jack, Jack's right. In, Jack, sorry, Jack's right in the fact that it's is it's the way that that. The certain type of player that you need. Joe Hart, yes, is the most vocal on the pitch and he starts screaming and shouting. But David Silva will take... Uh, no, just Jack doesn't like talking about Phil Foden too much. But take, <laughs> take Phil Foden aside and tell him, just at training for five minutes after training, we'll just talk him through what, how he can improve his game. Mm-hmm. And that's, not, that's, not, that's a different type of leadership. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not Joe Hart screaming and shouting you, calling you all sorts and calling your mother and all, all sorts of stuff. It's taking David Silva aside and say. If you just if you just move take that extra touch, then you can you can improve this and you can do that. That's a different type of leadership. Just now that we mentioned Joe Hart, I wonder if they count him in the attendance at Turf Moor <laughs> now. Because uh, uh, let, let's move on and look at the other games. Uh, <laughs> I hope he isn't listening. <laughs> He'll shout at me. Um, well, he definitely will. Yeah. Uh, so Arsenal against Bournemouth is this a bigger game than Arsenal against Man U now? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> no. uh, so uh, Arsenal against Bournemouth, obviously a uh, good result in the uh, in the Europa League this week. Bournemouth having a great season. Um, yeah, but they play really, really good football. They're just exciting to watch. And Eddie Howe wants to have a go and play the right way. Where, and what he's done there, I know they have they do have a bit of money behind them, but what he's done over the last few years has just been nothing short of incredible. Mm. It's the style they play as well. Mm. I know to kind of retain yourselves in the Premier League with... What the gates like eleven thousand? Yeah, it's not a big ground. It's not. It's, not it's a lovely to go. Yeah. It's a lovely. Pl- it's this lovely thing, to it's go. A lovely place to go and watch football. It's, it's not- great to cover. You park outside the front door. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a lovely place. The, the press room's tiny, isn't it? It's just and all the staff actually smile at you. Yeah, and, and like they look almost like they're happy to see you. Some of them, which is not the same in nineteen other Premier League clubs, but it's just it's just nice. It's just a nice place to go. And they they do it every year, don't they, Bournemouth? They're, they're that team that you go right. They've had the time now. Like this, this is their year. This is their year. They'll struggle, and then they go and it's because it's the way that he does it, and also he gets his players in quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gets his, he identifies the players that he wants quickly, gets them in, and he has a full preseason with them, which is why they always start seasons well because he has a full preseason with players. They don't have to go off on ridiculous tours and promotional tours. He has a full summer on the training ground with his team and it, that's why they always look so well drilled I got, told, sorry, I got told an amazing story about Dominic Solanke this week oh, come on. when oh, they signed on. him <laughs> he was going to go to Palace and then it became clear that Bournemouth wanted to sign him so he did a U-turn wherever he was on the motorway yeah. just like right I want to go to Bournemouth and him and I think his dad represents him and they went to go and have contract negotiations with Bournemouth and they both just sat, sat there Normally, you would kind of your agent would go, "Oh, we want this, that, and that." Yeah. And they both sat there and went, "We love the club. Wow. We want yeah. to join." Even before they talked about money, which kind of tells you a hell of a lot about the kind of ethos of Bournemouth and what mm. the outside yeah. think of them. Just, just from my own experience, like if you're ever negotiating anything, don't start with that. No, <laughs> like, builders, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I hope he's trouble. enjoying his five freddos a week. <laughs> 
Uh, so what, what about Arsenal, though? Because it's interesting, because this is one of the things that you would always go, oh, well, like Eddie Howe is like an Arsenal manager of the future. But Arsenal stock has dropped. Bournemouth still seems to be rising. Uh, Emery has done some interesting things. Obviously got them to the Europa League final last year. Um He's, he's bringing a whole host of players through. Some interest. Great, great, great. I got his name wrong this week, didn't he? Gabriele Martinelli? Yes, yeah. yeah. What did you... Uh, yeah, you yeah, mixed got, the names together. You <laughs> called him Dave? <laughs> yeah, Gabriele. Yeah. The, just because yeah. that's too big to fit on the back of the shirt. <laughs> his Brazilian bro- half-brother. Um, so, so, so Arsenal, like, uh, uh, where, where can we see them going? Are they, are they, are they going to... This is a home game. So previously, you'd think nailed on Arsenal. Uh, yeah, previously. But I think, and, and it was something that Jack touched on before, the personnel in that Bournemouth team and the system that they play given the issues that Arsenal have had this season it's almost a nightmare situation for Arsenal because the way that Callum Wilson and Josh King will play up front will cause problems for David Luiz I, I don't think Rob Holding will play I think Emery's still feeling him back into the team I think it'll be Socrates and Luiz and you're looking at two players that love to within the first five minutes come out and win a header or come out and win a tackle and I think Callum Wilson is, is someone that I've been massively impressed with over the last season season and a half uh, in terms of his intelligence and how he knows when to put pressure on defenders, where to move, where to run. And, and that opens up huge amounts of space for the likes of King, um, uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Fraser. Harry Wilson's done really well for them since he's joined on loan at the start of the season. So with regards to Arsenal, I think Arsenal's only not only saving grace. Arsenal's strongest suit here is that Emery rested the majority of the players that you'd expect to start against Bournemouth for the standard Liège game. There's an argument to be made, and, and you know we've mentioned this on podcasts in the past, that the younger players playing in the Europa League are better than some of the first team players. I think there's there's that argument does hold some water, but Emre won't start blooding that many. You know, we've seen little bits and pieces of, of Joe Willock or Reese Nelson, Bukayo Saka a little bit, obviously he played at Old Trafford, but I think in general Emery has a Premier League eleven and a Europa League eleven and he and he doesn't like to blend mm-hmm. them too much. That will play into um into Bournemouth's hands because they know that this Arsenal side, the the Premier League eleven that I'm talking about there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of people that are underperforming that feel that they, they you know, they, they kind of be, should be cut a little bit more slack when the performances don't warrant that. Bournemouth, as as Pete touched on, the whole mentality of the club and the mentality of how doesn't buy into that. They won't have any time for for Shaka wanting twenty seconds on the ball to spray a pass, or David Luiz wanting to do this, or or, or or any other player. And if and if Arsenal leave themselves open to that, Bournemouth will pick them off. The thing is with Arsenal is that we're talking about, well, we're not saying crisis, but you're not saying it's not particularly gone particularly well this season. They've only lost once, and that was at Anfield, and there's no shame in that. The They've won, since that Watford game when they faced, what, 98 shots or whatever it was, <laughs> they've they've won four or five, and the draw was at Old Trafford, which they could have easily snatched, and yeah. they should have won. Um, yeah. So that's not bad form, and they, they're, they're scoring goals. Um, the youngsters that are coming in are playing well and scoring goals. Kieran Tierney's back, well, he's fit uh, and he's playing and he's playing yeah. well. So it's, I think it's looking reasonably rosy for Arsenal at the moment. But it's, it's typical of Arsenal that they would that they would then go and lose this game, isn't it? But I, I think, I don't think they're in as bad a shape. Defensively, they have issues, yeah. of course. But um, I think that they've got a lot of, of very exciting attackers. But that's the underlying issue here that you might, we've only kept, sorry, we've only kept three clean sheets this season, two of them mm. in the Europa League. The only clean sheet they kept was against Newcastle away on the opening day. Yeah. I do think, as, as I said before, Bournemouth's system, the likes of Wilson and King, are absolute nightmares for the likes of Socrates and Louise because of the way that they play, the, the problems they'll cause them. When we played Burnley in the second game of the season, 
Chris Wood, there was a lot of talk about Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes was in really good form. They didn't really cause that many problems. Someone like Wilson will cause problems for those two players. So Inter- I don't know whether Tierney's going to play, but he is going to be absolutely massive for them. Yeah, yeah. huge. He's yeah. he's an unbelievable footballer. Yeah. Um, Bargain as well in the, in this day and age. Yeah. 25 Yeah, 25 million. million yeah. Um, and Celtic and held out for a lot for that. Yeah, as well, yeah. I mean, when when do you ever see players coming out of the Scottish Premiership for 25 million? It doesn't happen, does yeah, it? Yeah, That's yeah. just how good he is. Yeah. He's, it, well, yeah Tierney's like, Tierney's a throwback, complete throwback as a footballer. Mm. Mm. Never on his phone, didn't even know the deal was going through until someone, yeah. had, to go, someone had to go and fetch him from the local park where he's playing football. That makes him sound yeah. like he's a bit simple, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just not bought like, Come on, love. rather just be in... The, Rather be in the park playing with his mates and whatever. Just got, yeah. He's the Forrest Gump of football. <laughs> yeah. just, just kicking a ball against the wall on his own. Uh, by the way, uh, Eddie Howe, the longest serving manager in the Premier League. How did we get to that? Yeah, he's a bit like Benjamin Button as well. He looks younger and younger every year, doesn't he? Uh, right, let's look at some of the other games that are happening as well. Uh, Jack, City against Wolves. Man City, Wolves. Uh, now, two seasons ago, last season, I- I'd be very excited about this game. Similar style, exciting managers. Uh, is the excitement gone from this with Wolves season? What? Because yeah, it, well, it's Wolves in Europe, isn't it? It's that it's, Europa it's, it's, League. Yeah, curse. it's always a problem, isn't it? Like Wolves have um, they picked quite a good team, I think, quite a strong team on Thursday for the Besiktas mm. game. So I don't know whether uh, you, you never know, do you, how a team's going to react? I mean, they've not they've not played particularly well after the uh, away trips in Europe so far. City had like I think I worked it out before. City have won thirty nine in the last forty four home games in the Premier League yeah well De Bruyne is out I mean that's really going to affect them yeah with De Bruyne <laughs> is it I mean yeah. well they've only got Foden Gundogan yeah. Mahrez yeah. so the, uh, well I'd love to see Foden start would really really love to see him start I, I think he has got considering the minutes he's had this season I think he's got the highest goal rate of any player <laughs> at the minute because I think he's got two goals in 15 minutes you know he was like a man on Tuesday he was man possessed yeah, when he, he came was. on yeah. he was like flying he was only on for four and a half minutes Nin- like flying n- into 90 tackles. plus one minute he comes on yeah. scores Great 90 plus five really good finish mm. his movement was re- you could tell when they were breaking that Foden knew exactly where he was going to end up and he was going to get that ball and yeah. stick it in the net you could, you could tell with Pep's um press conference afterwards where he sort of had, where he had to apologise for not giving the minutes he was always like oh let's give me another dilemma mm-hmm. well another, another problem that they've got is that he's got now got another selection selection yeah. dilemma it's a hard life isn't it <laughs> and what it is for, for Guardiola and he's probably saying quite a bit of that with, with his tongue in cheek because mm. he knows he knows that Foden is good enough to be in the team but he yes. also knows that he's not willing to compromise a winning side and, and he knows how important experience is in these games as, as well as ability. He said at the start of the season, so did Jurgen Klopp, that there wasn't the scope to take chances this season. Mm. Whoever wins the Premier League title this season could be decided by one game. That's how close it was last season and he expected it to be even closer this season. And I think that that's going to be one of the big things that counts against the amount of Premier League minutes Foden gets. Uh, we seem to that we've got that down as a, as a clear one for City, although I'm pretty sure we did that with the Norwich game. Pete, um, let's talk <laughs> about uh, Southampton-Chelsea. Tough one for Chelsea, this. Uh, Southampton are, are desperate for that first home win of the season. Um, away from home, away from home, they've done the business, but at home they've, they've struggled. But I mean, they have had, they have had Liverpool there. Um, Chelsea, inconsistency has been their thing this season. Obviously, you know, the young players, are, uh, uh, it's, it's incredible. You know, they've all got the England call-ups, which is, which is good to see. Um, but you don't know, you don't know if they're good, because they're, because they're so, because they're so young and, you know, not used to, Playing so much, is, is it going to uh, is it going to affect is it going to affect them? This is this is a game you could easily lose uh, after playing in Europe. 
Um, they were great. Chelsea were one week of brilliant, and then how'd you lose four 0 at Old Trafford? I do not know. Um, you know, you can't be if that, you can't you can't be doing that well if you're losing four 0 against that rabble. Yeah, but, I think it'll be a while before we see another <laughs> game like that. Yeah, we? but um, this this is a this is a game they could they could easily lose. But I mean. It depends what Southampton turns up. I, I think as well, Hassan Hutel, uh, a win here would give him a lot of lot of credit, a lot of kudos because uh, the odds have not been really stacked in his favour. Uh, Fergal, uh, let's look to you for uh, what have we got next? Burnley Everton. Now, now this game here, I really like. I really want Everton, Everton to do well. I just don't get what's going on there. There seems to be something with the Marco Silva project that's not happening. Big fan of Sean Dyche, second longest serving manager in the Premier League. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm going for Burnley on this one. Are, are you agreeing with me? Because you, you're an Everton fan, aren't you? No, Arsenal. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Close. put that on there. Yeah, well, well you know, yeah. sort of mid-table teams. Oh, <laughs> very good. Okay. Oh, oh, he's just setting himself wow. up for that joke, wasn't he? That's wow. why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very clever. Yeah, very much. Here was me thinking he wasn't listening before. Anyway, um, yeah, I would agree. Burnley have been quite impressive in recent weeks. They've won the last three in a row. And I wish I could think of something better and less cliche to say than Burnley seem to be Burnley again in terms of the way they're getting these results. And, and I think this happens at, quite often with Burnley. Um, <clears throat> they go through a sticky patch. Dice comes into the dressing room and goes, enough of that. We're going to carry on doing what we're good at, which is winning games and being very, very tight and getting it up to two effective forwards. Uh, Everton, on the other hand, you mentioned the Marco Silva project and, and as a you know a staunch Evertonian like myself, um, <laughs> I don't think there is a Marco Silva project. I don't think Marco Silva even thinks there's a Marco Silva project because it's become one of the most tired terms in Premier League football. Only now Everton fans will kind of whisper it to me, be like, oh yeah, the, the project. Like, <laughs> what project? Mm. What pro- like? They don't have a way of playing. They don't have a you know. They don't have a particularly exciting attacking style. They, they they concede quite a few goals and they are struggling. They've lost three games in a row. We talk about man- managers potentially under pressure. He's being mentioned right in that group at the moment because in other circumstances he might get maybe half a dozen games to turn things around. He spent a hell of a lot of money in the summer. Mm. I, I almost I'd like to see the correlation between tens of millions spent on games that you're given leeway. I think I think they, they both, you know, they, they go in opposite directions away from each other. I think if Silva loses at Turf more against Burnley, which I think he will, I think we could potentially be seeing the end of Silva before maybe the end of November, unless wow. something really turns he's around not, for him. He's not popular. He's not a not. popular man, is he at Goodison? Yeah. Also as well, you could, I was just thinking then, and this could happen now if he is out of work, if I was walking through Ibiza and somebody <laughs> handed me a flyer saying, uh, tonight at Ushuaia, the Marco Silva project, I'd go, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's move on to Norwich then. And they're at home to Villa this weekend. I saw Villa for the first time live uh, last week against Burnley, actually, and instantly fell in love with John McGinn. I think mm. he's a top six midfielder in waiting. I could... He ran the game from start to finish. You're a fan of a Scotsman. We've learnt that now. <laughs> I didn't even know. It just, unlike he kind of, he got linked with United over over the summer, and uh, Fergie said privately that he, he wished that United had had a look at him when he was leaving mm. Hibernian to go to Villa last year. I, just, I was blown away actually by how quite how how much he ran the game, and he's got so much energy, uh, and I had quite a cheeky celebration when he eventually scored as well with the VAR thing. Apart from the goal, like for for the, the, those of us that are less educated in the game, when we're watching a match of the day, what 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 should what what is it that we should be looking out for when we're looking at it? He's kind of, I mean, the same Tierney was a throwback before. McGinn's a little bit like that in the way he plays. Um, he's just box to box. He's all action, 
and he ca- he just carries the team with him. And he's another one that I notice that he'll have like little subtle little words with teammates mm. and reorganize and things like. That. He's I don't I don't know how old he, how old he is. Twenty three, twenty four, mm. and he, he looks like he's been around for years yeah. and years already. I mean, is that just the stress of the, the of being down at <laughs> the bottom end of the table? Is that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you can ask the set of stress of being in Edinburgh for a couple yeah. of years. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Watford? I mean, Watford against Sheffield United. Surely, like Watford are thinking, th- th- this is the game. But then after the performance Sheffield United put in, holding Liverpool off for 70 minutes and then just basically throwing it away. Mm. Is, is that Watford's best bet? Watford, Watford have to win this, don't they? I mean, it's obviously early, early days, but Kike Sanchez-Flores coming in, it was a bizarre appointment anyway to to sack Javi Gracia. You know, they didn't. You know, it was it was very early in the season, and after what he's done with the club, but that's just what, how Watford do things, isn't it? They have their next manager lined up, um, and then you go and get beat eight 0 at the Etihad, and and you know that that takes a lot of getting over. Um, they were poor at Wolves uh, in the in the defeat last weekend, so. Sheffield United are, well, Fergal will, will bring this up, I'm sure, but at the start of the season, he saw he, he foresaw all of this. He predicted Sheffield United would finish, what was it, high top half, uh, high top half, high bottom half. Um, <laughs> he's just smiling at me, he, he, looking forward to that. Um, but they're just, I'm loving Chris Wilder, by the way. Um, he's he's almost become a parody of himself now, hasn't he? Yep. And, and the fact that he's now... The interviewer is is going to ask him, um, "Are you dis- you know are you are you pleased with your you know you played Liverpool and you only lost one nil? Are you pleased with the team's like no 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 I, we don't come here to do this we do this we do that and he's and he's single he's not he's not afraid to single out players either and it's a kind of a breath of fresh air from a journalist but, but point he does, of view. He does seem to do it in a different way to other managers. Yeah. He's not throwing them under the bus. No 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 no. But he is he is saying they should be doing better. They should yeah. they're playing in the Premier League. They should be doing but better. But see, that's a positive thing. That's a, yeah. It's a positive. It is, yeah, it is, and it, and it works to motivate his players because he's saying you are better than this. You shouldn't be doing this, and it works well. But it's a breath of fresh air from a journalist's point of view because it makes because. Jack will back me up here in the fact that pre- managers no. in press <laughs> managers in press press conferences, uh, manager reaction it, on the whole, it's very, 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 very boring. Um, a lot of the same things, just regurgitated. But for someone like that, it's great, and he's bringing the style of football that he that he played in the championship as well. He's sticking with his principles, and it, it they'll, they'll stay up. I you know I'm, I'm I'm confident they'll stay up, and they'll go to Watford and they'll cause problems to a team actually in crisis. So Watford will just have to make sure that they don't concede first. Whoever whoever scores first in this will will win the game. Wilder has already won the heralded Breath of Fresh Air yeah, yeah, award. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hand it to him now. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the last game of the weekend for us. I mean, obviously the last game of the weekend is Newcastle, uh, Man United. But uh, the one game we haven't touched on yet is... Uh, West Ham Palace, lifelong Hammers fan, Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see my wardrobe? Yeah. I just open it and go, mm, Who yeah, am I today? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is a, a very strange case of when you look at this game, in any other context, you'd go, Am I watching that? No chance. But then you look at the table and you go, Huh? They're there and they're there. Um, Palace has been an interesting one this season. They've been pretty dull, uh, haven't really looked to score many goals and haven't looked particularly exciting. But in fairness, since Hodgson's come in, they've never been excited. There's, you know, these comments about, oh, they're doing this this season, they're doing this this season. It's exactly the same as last season. In fact, they're arguably even a little bit more solid. Um, 
West Ham to say that West Ham have gone under the radar would be a massive underestimation. <laughs> underestimation. Uh, if they win, they go into the top four. West Ham in the top four. Um, I know, obviously, Jim, our boss, will be delighted about that. But I think we can all safely say nobody other than Jim would have ever thought this was was the potential for happening. Um, and and these two sides have, have operated this season under this guise of everyone criticises them without actually looking at their results or their performances. West Ham in particular, they've showed a lot of grit in the last couple of games. They've had to come from behind twice. The, um, the performance away, sorry Pete, the performance away at Manchester United <laughs> was 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 one of them. And, and even last weekend against uh, Bournemouth, Bournemouth missed a couple of chances. And I think in the past with, with previous West Ham teams, they would have gone, right, we'll just hang on in here and hope we don't lose 3-1. But no, they went forward. Aaron Questerall got himself a second goal in, in, in two games and we're seeing a slight change in, in that mentality of West Ham this season. The players they brought in are not going to settle for just knocking around in mid-tables, the likes of Sebastian Haller, Pablo Fornals in midfield. That isn't what they're going to want. So I actually think this could be a really interesting game this season of two sides that are definitely punching above their weight. Pellegrini deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. Because um, he's assembled, slowly but surely, um, he's assembled a really good squad. There and he kept and he made sure that the club kept hold of the key players in the summer, and everyone's talking about Leicester being this team to break into this top six or top four or whatever. Um, but West Ham have just as good a chance with the players that they've got, and they've got strength in depth as well. It's not just the first eleven. All right, well that just about covers off everything. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me. Uh, Jack Gorn from the Daily Mail. Thank you very much. Uh, Pete Hall, freelance football writer, DIY specialist. <laughs> thank you. And uh, lifelong Tottenham Hotspur fan and football journalist, Virgo. <laughs> Till I die. <laughs> Uh, that's it for today uh, there'll be a roundup show as soon as the well almost as soon as the uh, Newcastle Man United game has finished we just have to wake everybody up from what's probably going to be a <laughs> dull game there thanks very much to you for listening to today's show if you have enjoyed it please uh, click subscribe you'll get the next episode as soon as it's ready that's a brand new episode every day as the name suggests and if you have enjoyed it you can leave a little review wherever you get your podcast from Football Social Daily, Premier League Preview. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.